to the Text Help Talks podcast. We've got a host of experts covering a range of topics from education right through into the workplace. So make sure you subscribe through your preferred podcast player or streaming service so you never miss an episode. Today, you're hearing from me, Jason Carroll, Chief Product Officer at TextHelp. We're thrilled to have today's guests back on the podcast again. They're becoming regulars at this point, our friends from Inclusive Learning 365. Over the past 10 years, I've gotten to know Chris, Karen, Mike, and Beth, who all come from a variety of backgrounds in education very well. In this episode, we'll be finding out what our guests have been getting up to since our last catch-up, as well as getting all the details from their road trip to ISTE and the conference itself. Chris, Karen, Mike, and Beth have all recently co-written a fantastic book about inclusive learning. The book is called Inclusive Learning 365, EdTech Strategies for Every Day of the Year. If you haven't gotten your hands on a copy yet, we will leave the details about where you can find it in the show notes for this episode. So it's always amazing to have you all join us here. Welcome back, first of all. And for anyone listening who maybe hasn't had the chance to catch our previous episodes together or get to know you all yet, can you please tell us a little about yourself? And and just to give everybody a heads up, Mike is not able to join us today, but I did want to make sure that we included his name in the introduction uh, because he is, of course, part of the ISTE road trip and part of the Inclusive Learning 365 crew. So uh, so assuming we're not starting with Mike, I'll hand it over to you to introduce yourself. I guess I'll go first. My name's Chris Bouguet, and I'm the Assistive Technology Specialist for Loudoun County Public Schools. Karen? And hi, I'm Karen Janowski, and I am an Assistive and Inclusive Technology Consultant working in the greater Boston area. We provide um, services to many school districts in Massachusetts. And my name is Beth Poss, and I... Um, my day job <laughs> um, is I am the director of educational programs with Lesson Picks. I'm a speech language pathologist and special educator by training, but I really like to consider myself an inclusive learning advocate. Very good. Thank you. Uh, thank you all. I, I think at this point I could just do the introductions for you. Next time we should give that a go. There we'll you let, go. Uh, you all can introduce me, and I'll introduce you, and we'll kind of flip things around. It'll be good. Um, hey, okay, so let's start with the fun stuff. The famous road trip to ISTE. Last time you all were getting ready to kick off, I was a little concerned about all of you getting in one vehicle for such a long amount of time. Uh, <laughs> but I assume it worked out. You're all still here. Well, most of us. <laughs> Mike's not here. Um, but could you give us a brief recap of, of the plans and how it went? Not only are we all still here, I would say we're all still friends after spending that much time in the car together. We, I think, even gelled even closer as a, as a group. Um, but Karen, I think you should lead us off because you're the one who kicked off the road trip from Massachusetts. Yeah, and what a great start it was. We actually um, were able to start right at Texthelp headquarters, um, United States headquarters here in Woburn, Massachusetts, and got a great send off, great uh, energy. There was so much excitement from the TextHelp um, staff themselves, and we left. Actually, I left, picked up Mike in New Jersey after about six hours, some traffic, and then Mike and I continued on to get Chris and, and Beth um, down in Virginia, and we had some stops along the way. We just had so much fun with the text helpers and with just um, making an impact as we were driving along the way and having, you know, one of the songs um, that really kind of captured the uh, what we did was called Fun, Fun, Fun by the Beach Boys, I'm sure. Fun, 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 <laughs> um, you know, that Beach Boys song. And I think that that really does capture what 
what we do, how much fun and exciting things that we did along the way. And we, you know, we did bring the text helpers with us. We had great photo ops. And I know um, Chris and Beth will probably talk about some of those photo opportunities that we shared with the text helpers along the way. Yeah, it really was just so much fun. Um, we had a blast. I, without a doubt, we came through it, not only still all getting along, but absolutely um, getting closer and getting to know each other more as as people, which was really, really cool, and not just as um, professional colleagues. So it was fantastic. And we really appreciate the um, support that Text Help gave us in order to make that happen. That's awesome. I I enjoyed following along on social media. It did uh, it, it did look like you all really enjoyed yourself uh, along the way. It was it was fun to to watch uh, from afar for sure. Hey, so um, Karen, you um, you kind of already alluded to this a bit. You talked about music and the fun, 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 and uh, and all that sort of stuff. So I, I believe it's the case, right? That all the, that our listeners and and others from social media they contributed to your Spotify playlist for the trip. Was there like a, a memorable song besides the fun, fun, fun that? Uh, that really sticks out? There actually were several that were appropriately themed. Um, I, I actually went through the list again, just to, to remind ourselves of, of what was on the list because every genre was represented, but some of the ones that were especially appropriate were On the Road Again, Willie Nelson, Life is a Highway by Rascal Flats and Drive by The Cars. Those were some of the memorable, great themed ones. Born to be Wild was also on there. Can you guys, Chris and Beth, can you think of others? Oh, yeah. I mean, and then we had we had the hard rock edge. And since Mike isn't here to defend himself, we can rag on that a little bit. So anytime we felt like a little headbanging music, you know, one of Mike's songs would come on. and um, <laughs> Shoot to kill. Shoot to yeah. kill. Yeah. <laughs> I would also it definitely say helped pass the time. I mean, and seeing who had contributed what. And it was like all... And I can't remember how many different people ended up contributing. We had a bunch. Yeah. Close to 20, I think. Yeah. Somewhere between 15 and 20 different people contributed to the Spotify playlist. And it was great to see, like you said, Beth, oh, who who did, did you put this on there? Did you put that? Who? No, this is someone named Brian put it on there. Who's Brian? <laughs> this is great. Um, and I've still been listening to it. Like we took a drive um, to the beach a couple weeks ago and I put the play. I mean, it's a great playlist so get on spotify and and find it we'll have to make sure that you can put it in the um in the notes for the the post um yes it, but yeah it's an awesome playlist like and it's really long i mean it's you, you've got i don't know we had a, almost 200 songs on it or something like that so there's plenty on there uh, to get you through a nice long road trip that is uh, that's awesome i was just thinking that and you've read my mind beth we need to figure out where that is and make sure we post it up on the on the show notes again and i um I've got a long trip coming up myself, so I may have to uh, subscribe and, and get started on it. So, cool. Um, hey, so moving on to so the road trip. Um, sounds like it was awesome. The music was great. But you were also sharing some lessons about inclusive learning along the way. Can you give some examples of, of that? Yeah. Let me, yeah. Uh, let me go first, Beth. I got the, I got one. I got one to go first. So 
Um, one of the first things we noticed when we were driving, I mean, the whole point was not just to do a road trip, but to share uh, this message about inclusive learning and find different uh, connections along the way. And one of the first ones we, we noticed was when we stopped for the night at a hotel, we took a picture of the way the furniture was sort of mm, uh, set up in the lobby. And there were these uh, study carols where you could go and sit individually, like, uh, like your own little office but in a collective space there were couches there was soft lighting and then the, the the lighting in the room and it just sent this vibe of flexible learning spaces it was like you wouldn't uh know if this was a in fact i think some people were like is this a picture of a hotel no it, it, or is this a picture of a classroom in the way that we're designed or a, a learning space in general in a school the way um the evolution of education is evolving is to look at taking the traditional classroom model of rows and columns of desks and, and realize that's not really a great learning environment. So how can we adapt this learning environment? And we, that's just one of the first examples of taking a picture of how it was designed in this hotel lobby space as a, as a fun working environment where people can, um, choose where they want to sit, choose where they want to work and have some flexibility in that choice. That's awesome. Yeah. Example on the, the, so you're saying the, the, the hotel lobby was already designed in that way, correct? Or did you all go in and move furniture? <laughs> no, it was designed yeah. that way. It was set up. You're like, this is the classroom we want to walk into. Right. It was really, okay. it was really great. And throughout the trip, it was amazing how we did not have to dig deep at all to find ways to connect the fun and funny things that we were doing on this road trip to inclusive learning practices. Um, so check out any of our Twitter feeds, our Instagram uh, feeds. Um, we have an inclusive uh, uh, Learning 365 Twitter feed and, and Instagram feed. Um, so you'll see things there, but all of our individual accounts as well. We posted throughout, um, uh, you know, pictures and I guess, advice, um, tips that we went through. So like one of the first stops that we made um, on the second day, so the first full day of our trip, ended up being a place called Dinosaur Kingdom 2 that was in uh, Virginia, like outside of, uh, I think like outside of like Stanton, Virginia or something like that, um, outside of Winchester. And it, there was this guy there who had created it. His name was Mark Klein. Um, and we had actually, and this place was amazing and with all these like dinosaur sized, wild, funky um, sculptures. Um, and um, he said to us, we just love this quote. He said to us, I don't run amusement parks. I create experiences for people. Well, that's the way we need to think about our our education, right? I don't teach a class. I create experiences for learners, right? We could sub in the educational words in there instead. Um, and so I really encourage the listeners to go in and check out our social media feeds from, you know, that, uh, that week of like June 23rd or so through the um, 30th, um, because there's some real gems in there. Yeah, the That's hashtag awesome. is inclusive road to ISTE. Uh, yes, exactly. Awesome. Those are great stories, great examples. Um, okay, so <clears throat> sorry. So we're still on the journey to ISTE, right? But you eventually arrived. And then once, once you got there, the agenda didn't get any smaller. Lots of things that you had to do. What were some of the goals for the conference? I'm sure you all discussed on the way down and 
Like, what were you hoping to, to share and find when you were there? What did you want to learn more about? Kind of what were the goals leading up to it that, uh, that you hoped to, to accomplish once you arrived? We, we really decided that, you know, preaching the gospel of inclusive learning was something that we wanted to share and network with people around. Um, you know, this was, ISTE is the biggest educational technology conference in this country, and it's an international conference as well. And so this is our audience. This is who we really would like to reach and help them understand and reflect on their current practices. Have they? Do they have that inclusive mindset? And we were able to use our social media posts as a way to kind of um, really share that, that message as well. But each one of us individually had opportunities to talk with um, other participants, and we had a great time at the um, at your text help booth on a number of different occasions. And the big thing was to really help people understand um, how important adopting an inclusive mindset is to reach every learner. And uh, I think we were able to do that. It, it got kicked off. Chris kicked it off really on the very first day of the conference. And he um, may want to share about that. Right, right from the start, we had a really engaged um, audience with Chris's. Um, Karen, are, are you talking about the Cards Against Exclusivity event? I'm, that's you nailed it. The best <laughs> opportunity. That was awesome. Maybe you can share about that. Yeah, so I'm sure people have heard of the games, the game Apple to Apples or uh, Cards Against Humanity. So I created a spinoff of that, a parody of that called Cards Against Exclusivity. And what it is is 300 cards that have different tools, resources, strategies. A lot of the Textel products are are on these cards, for instance. And uh, we took over a space. And Mike and Karen and Beth were the judges. And the way it worked is that uh, different people created little teams. And then we passed out cards to them. They'd have maybe five cards. And then on a screen behind the judges, we displayed some sort of um, uh, scenario. And that scenario, then people would read the scenario or I'd read the scenario out loud to them. And they would choose from their set of cards which tool, resource, strategy would best fit that scenario. So for instance, uh, a, a way to help people have text read out loud, for instance, right? And then people would look through their cards and they'd go, oh my goodness, read and write for Google Chrome. And then they would hand that to me. I would collect them from the various teams, shuffle them up and give them to our crack team of judges who would then choose which which card felt they felt best matched uh, with the scenario behind them. And then people won little points. And it was a super fun event where uh, we've done it before. Uh, Beth has been a um, participant in that experience before as a uh, as a guest judge at a different conference. And it was great to bring that forward at the ISTE conference. Again, for the same reasons that Karen is mentioning, is that it's a it's a place where you can reach so many more educators, not just special educators. Yeah. And, and I have to say like one of the most amazing things at ISTE is the vendor hall, right? It's massive. And there are like, I don't know, hundreds, thousands, whatever of vendors there. Um, and I really like, I carved out time to go through, not a, I didn't get to everything, but to go through quite a few aisles um, in the vendor hall. And, you know, one of the things that I would do is, is go up and if I could see the inclusivity, uh, the inclusive features of a tool, um, you know, that was being shown there, you know, that was awesome. But when I couldn't necessarily, I would ask um, the, the vendors there. And there was a couple of folks that were like, 
you know, it was like a new product for them, something they, you know, just designed or something that, you know, they were just putting out there and, and having that opportunity to talk to vendors in a really collegial manner and say, hey, did you consider, you know, a way to provide text to speech within your tool? Or did you consider, um, I see you've got videos up as a part of your tool. Did you consider having, you know, closed captioning? So just some of the you know, those opportunities to talk to to vendors who are touching students and learners through their products and hopefully make them start thinking about the importance of having accessible, inclusive features um, in their tools. I mean, obviously that's integral to text helps, text helps tools, but not every vendor is thinking the same way. And so that was a, a really powerful experience too, where I felt like, okay, maybe I'm having an opportunity to make an impact here just by talking to this, this person here. That's awesome. That's uh, those are great examples and great stories and good point about the vendor hall and things like that as well. It's really amazing how large it is. It's uh, it's a bit of an experience. If you've never been to ISTE when you walk in, just kind of how large uh, that it is. So uh, it's keeping on that same track. Then um, you joined up. You joined us at our stand, Textile at the Textile stand, um, for several times. I think throughout the ISTE conference, and you chatted with visitors to the booth. Can you recap any discussions that came up, or people searching for anything in specific? And I always like the questions about what challenges were people trying to solve while they were there, right? Yeah, I mean that was actually the first thing. Like. I would like people would be walking by and I would kind of like put myself in front of them and say, hey, tell me something like really amazing that you've gotten out of the conference so far. Um, and so that was like my kind of like go to question to ask people who, you know, were coming up. And if they, you know, whatever it is that that they were saying, I would then try to direct them, you know, into the idea of like, oh, how are you thinking about that in terms of. Um, you know, including all your learners and making supports for all the learners in your classroom, in your district, in your school, whatever, you know, whatever the role was that those uh, individual um, uh, people, you know, were playing. Um, and so it was really cool to hear their answers and to hear their enthusiasm and their excitement. People were really like jazzed about it. Um, and then, I mean, for me, the most fun part um, of being at your booth is when you guys gave away um, books. And so that was really very surreal to be like signing autographs for all these books and having people coming up and, and, you know, excited and eager to get a book, um, uh, one of our books, right from from you all. So thank you guys so much for that. Um, it was it was great to talk to people who were coming through the vendor hall that way. I think what impressed me when we were at your booths too, at your booth too, Jason was, um, how many people hadn't heard about the products? How many people were unaware of what was possible? And so it was an opportunity to open up their eyes to this new, these new ideas, these new inclusive concepts, because you've got a wealth of, of different products and the features within it that are so within the products that are so inclusive. You know, you've got Read and Write for Google, which has amazing features. Besides the read aloud features, you've got the summarize features and the highlighting and, and the voice notes features. I mean, you've got some really wonderful, inclusively designed features. You know, Equatio, you won an award for that. How awesome is that? Because there's really no other math 
um, product that's even similar with all of the inclusively designed features that are included in that. So it was really exciting to be that that catalyst to help them see, like, consider these new opportunities and so direct them so that they could hear more from um, those of you who were at the booth itself. That was really fun and empowering to be able to open up educators' eyes to possibilities that they ne never considered before. This, this is exactly the point that Karen was making earlier and then I tried to reiterate, re reiterate and Beth is reiterating is that this is the sort of conference that you need to be at, right? <laughs> so we could be at a conference that is a special ed focus and most people at a special ed conference is going to heard of text-to-speech or they've been working to provide some sort of accommodation for uh, inaccessible math, right? But here, as educators walk by and we're like, uh, what do you what do you teach? What do you do? And they're like, oh, I work in math. Oh, have you heard of Equatio? No. Okay, how are you, how did you work through the pandemic? You know, like what was your digital tool and and what 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 did you do to make it accessible for people? Those sorts of conversations happen at a such great frequency um, at the ISTE conference. It really felt like the needle moved for many educators who just hadn't considered it before um, and had, hadn't realized it. I remember one conversation I had with a uh, somebody there at the booth. It was. It wasn't about math. It was about um, text to speech. And they were like, oh, "Yeah, yeah, we have a textbook, and uh, there's little like a little play button next to the the the, the text." I'm like, "Tell me more." And they're like, "Yeah." So it's like a little listen button. You hit the listen button, and then there's this human narrator reads it aloud. I go, "Does it? Does it? Does it highlight as it reads along? No. Can you adjust the speed? No." Um, and uh, as like, does it, is it the same listen button across all tools that you're using? No, like each different assessment has a different listen button or something, you know, like there's no consistency. It's like, well, that's like using a different phone each time you want to use, well, if I'm going to call somebody, I'm going to use phone number one, but if I'm going to text somebody, I'll use phone number two. And if actually I'm going to watch a YouTube video, I'm going to use phone number three. It's like, you, you, you don't use multiple tools. You want to use um, sort of a consistent platform for people. So they, especially students, so they get used to it. And that's what the text help tools, we, we were able to show them at the, right at the, at the booth, come over and look at this and how there's a consistent experience um, across the, across the different tools you're using. Those are, uh, those are great stories. I mean, to make sure that you all are at the booth and all the conferences, that's, uh, that's excellent. <laughs> that's, uh, that's very good stuff. I had great conversations there as well. Uh, many of them of you all, I, I did notice something interesting on your right. The scale of ISTE is just so much larger than maybe some of the smaller conferences to where uh, certain uh, products may be better known than, than others. But even talking with like technology directors, you know, the last few years, the pandemic, the pandemic changed so many things to where, like a lot of times you'd go to these conferences and look for computers and interactive whiteboards and networking supplies and all these things. And in a lot of places it's now one-to-one -one and everybody finally has the technology, right? So a lot of folks are now focusing more on, okay, so what technology can I get that can help a really large group of diverse learners learn to read and write and study and listen and speak and create and all these kind of things. So I, I liked seeing that shift uh, more to some of the tools rather than the actual equipment that you use, uh, which is a requirement before you can use many of the tools, obviously. But I thought that was an interesting thing that I saw at ISTE. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so moving on then through kind of a list of questions that I have here. Uh, you, you also hosted a session at ISTE, and it was titled Designing Instruction with an Inclusive Mindset. Um, maybe could you share any specific strategies you shared or some key takeaways that you left the attendees with? 
Well, I'm going to jump in on this one. Uh, I loved the way this session actually evolved. So it was towards the end of the day, uh, after a very long day, and maybe four people, five people showed up at the start of the session. So immediately we had a plan with a slide deck and how we were going to, uh, you know, four of us for an hour session, how we were going to divide it up. And we had this whole plan. And as soon as we saw there was only like four or five people, we immediately jumped off the booth, uh, off the stage, pulled together a circle. And then throughout the course of the hour, Another two people rolled in, another three people rolled in, another person peeked in, saw that we were having this interactive discussion. It wasn't a sit in front of the room, talk to them for an hour. It was a back and forth engaging discussion that continued to grow. And I feel like that is one of the, um, we, we, we said it earlier, but we'll say it again, one of the principal components in designing inclusive educational experiences is being flexible. And we exhibited that right there from the jump in this session is like, well, okay, well, it doesn't make sense to be like us talk at you for, uh, or not that, that that's not, wasn't the really design of the experience in the first place. It was a lot more interaction, but let's just pull together a, a small group discussion and let's do it that way. And that, Oh, it really resonated with me that we were able to have these conversations with people um, and and make it a more flexible design. Yeah, it really was. A, it, it, we we actually definitely modeled flexibility because yeah, we completely pivoted, and I think it made it a much more engaging conversation. And what was nice to see too is people peeked in. And it wasn't they turned around, they actually joined us. They saw that we were all sitting together, we were collaborating, we were sharing ideas. And it and everyone participated, which is not the typical ISTE presentation. You don't have that opportunity to participate and, and ask your questions or share your 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 own experiences. And it was a really dynamic, um, active uh, session as it turned out. And so we were um, kind of facilitating, but also um, sharing ideas and learning from the participants as well. I loved the way that that particular session evolved. It was really fantastic. And I think a lot more than just sharing strategies, um, and this was the plan from the start, right, was not just to simply share strategies, but was for us to ask questions. And we actually have questions that we we kind of title as questions inclusive educators ask. Um, and they're things like, how do we consider every learner's unique needs, strengths, and abilities? Um, and how does the technology provide options that empower every learner? And so from the get-go, that is how we would rather engage with folks that come to a session that we're doing so that it it is a conversation. Um, it's not about necessarily what we have to, um, it's not about us as the sage sages on the stage, and we jumped off that stage as quickly as we could, um, as it is uh, that opportunity to, um, to help people reflect and consider um, and share their answers to those questions, not just keep those answers like in their head, um, but to share out those answers with the larger with the larger group, which I think really was powerful. That's great. And I can just think from the audience, I, um, I'm sure when they walked in and there weren't that many people there at first, they were like, Hmm, I wonder about this. And then I bet it was just one of the most beneficial sessions that they ended up being to. I, I can think in my life as an attendee and as a presenter, many times when, um, 
there weren't as many people in attendance and it became a much more informal, close-knitted group. Those were the most meaningful sessions I think that I've ever been to, either as an attendee or a presenter again. So that's great that that works out because it's you often don't have the opportunity to have that sort of experience at ISTE. Um, so similar, so on the same uh, track of what we're talking about, any, anything that that you learned that was new or you picked up maybe at ISTE that you thought was interesting related to inclusive learning that you're going to incorporate into future trainings or lessons or maybe even another book? I'll jump in with that. I went to a really awesome session um, led by an educator. Um, his name was D. Lanier, um, uh, Lanier, I believe. And um, he was leading a session on um, diversity, equity and inclusion. Um, and um, he has um, I, I we're, you know, we talked about Chris's game that he created. Well, um, D created a game also. Um, it's called. Um, I guess it's a game, but it's it's actually like um, it's a card set. Um, it's he talks about it as a problem based learning and design thinking activity. And it's called solve in time. And I, he has no idea that I'm talking about this. I didn't come on. You know, it's not like, oh, I, I've got to go plug this. But he has a website, solveintime.com um, and his his uh, his. Uh, social media handle is at solve in time, but it was really cool because it was interactive. So he played the game uh, or passed out the cards. I don't, I don't know if he really considered it a game or not, but he passed out the cards. People were grouped up at tables um, and we had these cards that talked us through um, different like problem solving scenarios. Like, you know, one, I'm holding them in my hands right now. So like one of the questions might be, um, uh, you know, how might if he posed he posed a, a, a real life educational problem, like how might you solve it in a new way? Um, so they're like, uh, where have you seen the problem? So these are some of the question cards. Um, when does use research skills and personal knowledge to answer the question? When does the problem happen? Um, you know, where did the problem begin? And I really appreciated that that approach to the topic and you could do it with really any educational topic. Um, and so I went and bought his cards and I'm really hoping that I'm going to be able to apply those to an in-person um, training session in the future. Cause I really was impressed um, by that. So that was one of my big takeaways that I got really super excited about. All right, I'll go next. So one of the sessions that I went to was all about esports. Now, for the last several years, I'm going to say three to five years, uh, so maybe two years before the pandemic, um, esports has continued to be a growing phenomenon in schools and beyond. Um, and one of the things that I that draws me towards it is, um, again, the inclusive nature of it is that uh, the vast majority of people like to play games, although there and this is although people might choose different types of games. Uh, gaming continues to be something that almost everyone enjoys to doing it. And can we when we play video games, can we. Um, make that an inclusive experience right from the jump, right from the beginning. Uh, again, so many are already designed with accessibility features. Are we taking advantage of those? But then um, something else that I think aligns with that gaming is something that Texthelp has talked about for years, especially since the RyQ product. And that is um, learners who play games often get 
feedback at the end of the game. You know, if you're playing, let's say, the Madden football game, at the end of the football game, you get statistics about uh, your passing scores and catching scores and all that kind of stuff. And many games have these sort of feedback that you get at the end. And uh, RyQ is an example of that, but with related to writing, right? So what if we could give students some input about their writing and they could um, then... Uh, make adjustments based on that. And that's, that that aligns with what um, Mike and Beth and Karen and I have been saying, and that we that is an underlying theme of the book, is that what can we do to put the learning in the learner's hands? And that includes the data and the feedback that they get. So let's give them the data, give the students, give the learners the data, uh, give them that that the, those metrics, and then they can make adjustments themselves, just like they do in a esports video gaming atmosphere can they do that with writing can they do it with their math can they do it with uh their other academics involved in the learning process yeah, yeah. I, Sorry, I guess, uh, for me that the the biggest takeaway that i always get out of conferences and it's not necessarily just limited to inclusive learning but just those opportunities for conversations and catching up with people and and um just hearing what has excited them during the previous year or when they're in their current learning um, environment, what they are doing and what kinds of results that they're seeing with their learners and, and just those opportunities to maybe challenge thinking or, or take them to a new level. Um, and again, I go to every conference always knowing that I'll learn something new because we don't know, we don't know, but there's always, and there's always something new to learn. So I think it was more generic, nothing particularly specific, but just a, that wonderful, um, just being able to be around so many committed, engaged, empowered learners. You just run with that, um, that energy. And it was really, you know, a, a, an awesome experience as it always is. Wow. Karen, Karen, you know, speaking of awesome experiences and related to what uh, Beth and I were saying with like gaming and competitions, Jason, did you have anything that happened at, uh, at the ISTE conference as far as like, I don't know, winning anything. <laughs> oh, look at that. That's a perfect transition. Nice work, Chris. Uh, we did actually. Um, so most notably, both Equatio and Orbnote won the Tech and Learning's Best of Show Award, which we were uh, super excited about. Um, we didn't, you know, it's kind of a complete surprise when we saw it announced. So everybody was was really happy about that. Uh, you you all are both familiar or you're, you're all three familiar with uh, Equatio and Orbitnote. On that, how do you, how do you feel those tools support inclusive learning? Well, it's first of all with Equatio, there is nothing else that does anything that well anything similar to what it offers. I mean, the ability to speak the math problems, the ability to handwrite them and then convert it into text, and it goes immediately into the Google Doc. Those kinds of experiences are just. Um, unheard of in other types of products so that the flexibility, the options, the features in the tools really are geared to those who um, who learn differently, who have variability in terms of their math skills. And it's just a, an incredible product for many people, many educators to know about. And you were mentioning with OrbitNote, you're mentioning some of the new releases that make it even more inclusive that we're really excited to hear more about. Um, I mean, text help it, you, your company, you are committed to inclusive learning. You are such a great model for other ed tech companies. And so um, continuing to, to add these new features is, 
is a win-win for everyone, especially our, our learners. Yeah, I, in terms of like OrbitNote, um, Karen actually usually has like a, a meme in a lot of our presentations that um, is something along the lines of, you can fill it in better than me, Karen, go jump in, but something along the lines of, yay, another worksheet, said no learner ever, right? Yeah. Um, and I think the fact that OrbitNote gives, it's, it's like one of those things that just seems so hard for educators to let go of are these worksheet-based things. And given that OrbitNote can take something that exists as an inaccessible, non-interactive, flat PDF and can make it interactive where um, learners and educators can give feedback to each other, where um, they can, where it becomes accessible because of the features, you know, of text to speech and typing text on top of it and, um, you know, adding notes or adding instructions. But like beyond that, like the freehand drawing and highlighting and, and again, I think the text and voice comments is huge where we can take something that, you know, maybe there's some familiarity for educators with a, a you know, an assignment that they don't want to give up that they've been doing, but to infuse new life into it by making a, a truly interactive um, resource that students can contribute to, learn from each other, um, and get feedback on. So um, yeah, I think that makes OrbitNote, you know, it's one of those things that can be a really great jumping off place for folks that are just not quite ready to let go of what they've always been doing. Something, a trap, uh, something that scares me and a trap that I find some educators fall into, especially administrators that might be providing these tools or funding these tools, or when I say funding, you know, they're allocating the funds for the tools is, uh, is that they might say, well, this is special ed only, which is then not really inclusion, inclusion, right? It's, it's like, well, only this population will make it a, a tier three support that only some kids get or individual kids get. Um, but there's a whole swath of kids that might, um, not be eligible for special education, but need these tools as well. Um, so that they can, again, make math uh, accessible, make uh, annotate on top of the PDF, everything that Beth and Karen just said, right? But if you provide it to just a handful of students, I mean, I guess that's a start, but let's not leave anyone out. We really want to just make it a tier one tool. And I mean by that is something that's available to everyone. And that also then um, uh, it, it becomes a training mechanism because the peers just help each other. What are you doing over there? How are you using that? Oh, let me show you how I use that. And everyone gets to learn from each other as opposed to, well, that's just a special thing that someone gets. And now I feel weird about using it. Why would I use that? My friend doesn't use it. No, we're all, it's just there for anybody. It's an option for everybody. That's a, that's a good point, Chris. I mean, I, I use OrbitNote every day. That's just my PDF tool of choice, right? Because I can do all the things that would need to collaborative, interactive, all that sort of stuff. But it also has all the supports built in with Read and Write and Equatio or works with those anyway. So, hey, really appreciate the kind words on the products. Um, you, you know, it's, it's very kind of you to say, we owe a lot of that back to practitioners like you and many teachers and, and even students that are telling us like, hey, this is great, but we need to, to solve this challenge or solve that challenge. And then it's, it's back to the drawing board for us to figure out how to do that. So without your all's input, uh, it wouldn't be nearly the product it is now and, and will continue to be. So appreciate that uh, from you all. So uh, I, I guess moving on, get just a couple of more questions on here. As students and educators are heading back to school, what's some advice that you'd like to share with them? How can they kick off the year with an inclusive mindset? Well, I'll, I'll start with this one. There, There's, you know, we could go on for a couple hours just on this particular question. But one of the things is even to think 
um, reflect on the vocabulary that we use in our in our in our learning spaces and how we um, talk about one of the things that, that I hear a lot about, and Chris kind of alluded to that too, when he talked about it, this isn't just for special education. This is when we use these, these strategies and tools, then we are reaching every learner. We're not deciding whether they're general ed or special ed, but, and so off, just even reflecting on the vocabulary that you use, these aren't my kids and the special ed kids are your kids. They're all of our kids. And just adopting that particular change in the terminology can can make such a difference. I think as part of that, we're also recognizing that there's learner variability. And the learner variability can change even from day to day, you know, depending on what our learners are coming in with and what they've experienced, or maybe they've had something happen at, at home or whatever. I know that educators, they're, they are intentional in terms of they do want to make sure that they're reaching every learner, but they may not be aware of all of the strategies and tools that are available. And so one of the things I would like to suggest to them is that, I mean, you know, this is a shameless plug, but this, our book, Inclusive Learning 365, really does challenge thinking and does, I believe, help um, educators reflect on their current instructional practices and really get them thinking in a new way. Thinking outside the box, let's just throw away the box. I like it. Um, I'll, I'll add, I'll add. Um, so my challenge, uh, my advice, my challenge to educators as they start off the new year, um, and whether you do that by picking up a copy of our book um, and finding something in there or by listing something that you're getting from this podcast, but my challenge to educators this year is replace an exclusive practice, something that um, leaves learners out with an inclusive practice. It can be as simple as um, instead of only offering one novel to read um, as the choice, you know, maybe there's a theme or a, um, a something that, you know, you're needing to explore in AP English, you know, language arts, uh, whatever it is, um, instead of offering just one choice of a book, offer multiple choices of a book, offer digital versions of that book, um, make sure that the uh, audio version of that book is also available, it might be something as simple as that. It might be um, taking that um, paper worksheet that you have and uh, using a tool like OrbitNote with it um, and making it an interactive, accessible resource that facilitates uh, collaboration and exchange of ideas. Um, so take one thing that you're doing that isn't working for all learners and replace it with a practice that can help all of the learners in your in your setting. My advice to make it um, very tangible for people is to, especially here at the beginning of the school year, is look at the learning space itself. I started talk, talking about those uh, flexible learning spaces. Well, how is your space designed? Is it something that everybody has to sit in the same place or stand in the same place? Or is there flexibility in where you can decide to work? As soon as a educator adopts a flexible learning space, the next question they ask is, well, what else can I let go of? What else can I make more flexible in the design? So that's such a hands-on, tangible thing. Make it a clutter-free zone. You don't feel like you need to get out the cricket machine and throw up a bunch of crap on the walls uh, that'll make it distracting for people. Be very purposeful about what you put up in the environment. Invite students, invite the learners to decorate that environment with the work 
that uh, is meaningful to them, for strategies that are meaningful for them. So be really purposeful about designing that learning space. And if you need a shortcut about how to design that learning space, like, oh, that sounds, Chris, Chris, that sounds great. Like, make it flexible. What does that mean exactly? There's a roadmap for how to do that. Just go to any special ed program, like an autism classroom, uh, an IDMD classroom, if you have those classrooms. Um, they're likely designed that way already with uh, with uh, soft lighting and soft seating and uh, furniture that can immediately switch from something that you can sit and sit on to something that you can write on. You know, they're, they're usually designed with that flexibility in mind. So, uh, again, those spaces can help you design spaces for everybody. It just gives you a little bit of a roadmap. And Jason, can I add something more? I mean, again, we could go on for a long time with this, but Beth, um, you know, her Beth brought up the idea of replacing the practices that are in exclusive. And I think that, you know, we educators are, are very concerned about the time restraints that they have and and thinking and designing in a new way may seem to be kind of overwhelming and may take a great deal of time. But a whole idea of replacing um, strategies, methods, instructional methods that you're using that are less effective, if you're replacing those with with strategies that are inclusive and and reach all learners and are are not and are, are not exclusive, what you're doing is you're gaining time and you're um, it, you're adopting that inclusive mindset that benefits all. So it's that whole idea, you know, when you're designing flexibly, you're replacing that strategy that was putting learners into their rows of desks that that doesn't make learning possible. So it's reflecting and replacing. And there's so much possibility there. I like it. I really appreciate all of the uh, all the kind of real specific, tangible examples. I think that that's what brings these uh, to, to life and and good uh, good points from everyone there. And Karen, you mentioned something I thought was interesting too about the language that we use. Uh, kind of thinking about all the students that come into the classroom or into the school as they are all our students, right? Not, they're not just it's not these students versus those students versus your students versus my students. They're all our students, and I think getting everyone using the same language can have a big um, a big Big impact. I myself have been trying to, instead of saying I have to do things, I've been trying to say I get to do things. So instead of having to attend a meeting, I get to attend a meeting. Now it has limits on how well it works, but uh, but I have found just rephrasing that sometimes totally changes my attitude towards something. So I think that's oh, great. In, very interesting. That's that's a good one, Jason. Thanks. Yeah, it, it doesn't work like during tax time and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> it, it, it works for uh, works for the basics, anyways. Hey, so one last question. We'll wrap up here. Um, I really appreciate everyone's time. We know there's lots. There's always lots of change and challenge coming into any new school year. Um, is there anything that you're like super excited about or what's making you optimistic about the future of education? Well, we are going to be one of the things I'm really excited about is we're actually going to be starting our very first book study with a group of educators on inclusive learning 365. So um, it's a statewide book study through uh, uh, Nebraska State Department of Education and their um, their their ISTE um, state level group. Um, and we're super excited uh, to be able to really engage in a deep, meaningful conversation across the year um, with that group of educators. So I think that's what's got me charged up for this coming school year. Very cool. And I think any any.
any new school year, it's a beginning. You know, you're starting fresh. You're hopefully integrating and implementing all those great ideas that you learned at places like ISTE or the Textile Booth, or you know, you're you're just getting that opportunity to really implement things that you are excited about. And hopefully this has been an opportunity for many educators to start thinking more inclusively so they can um, they can evaluate the effectiveness and see the difference. That's the other thing, too. When we talk about, inclu- you know, adopting an inclusive mindset, take some baseline, try it, you know, the, your traditional way and then implement some of the inclusive strategies and see what difference it makes in terms of um, quality of work, empowerment because it's not just about engagement. We really want to empower our learners as well. So it's just that whole idea of starting from scratch and um, building off of of a strong foundation with new ideas and new strategies. Yeah, I will reiterate what um, Beth and Karen said, and I'll add to it by saying that at the time of this recording, we are in the midst of the great resignation, right? It's the beginning of the school year. There are teachers, I know, just like last week who said, I'm, I quit. I'm not coming back. I'm not doing it. Um, but there's also what comes with that, an opportunity of new teachers with new blood, new fresh ideas that can learn from veterans who who are staying, who have stayed. Or, and the ones that are staying are often the ones that have adopted these uh, these this new way of thinking about education, where it's not like Beth said, it's not sage on the stage anymore. It's guide on the side, right? There, there are teachers that have already adopted personalized learning, understand growth mindset, that are working on project based learning. They're they're putting the learner first, and these these are the teachers that seem to be happier with their jobs. They're not the ones running to get out of the profession. Uh, I find the ones that are leaving are the ones that are the old ones that like to lecture for 90 minutes and wonder why kids don't like doing that. And this generation is horrible because they don't listen to us for 90 minutes. Like what? No, it's the the new teacher, the new, the, 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 a new, I shouldn't say new teacher, a new thought process process about how to um, redesign the educational experience. And as new educators come into the profession, they can learn from these people that are really enjoying it. Right. And it, because they've adopted these sorts of philosophies about how to design educational experiences for everyone. And I'm just going to add one thing on top of that. My own daughter is a first year teacher. She's teaching agricultural science uh, at a high school down in Alabama. And I am so hoping that the mentors that she has are these people who have uh, adapted and changed and have developed um, as inclusive educators, whether they, you know, think they are or not, right? Whether they, they're teaching, uh, you know, what it, regardless of the students that they are teaching. Um, so, you know, I take that really, I take what Chris said really, really personally right now, because I'm watching my daughter and I want this to be a really positive, empowering um, career for her. Wow. Yeah. Those are really, really great points and great examples uh, for sure. It really brings it to life. Well, hey, Thank you all for taking the time to join us again on the podcast. It is always a great time to hear what you've been up to, your thoughts and insights around inclusive learning. Uh, for listeners, if you want to get more where that came from, there are 365 strategies in the book. So you should all go check it out if you haven't already. We will leave those details uh, on where to get it in the show notes of this episode. Thank you all again. And to our listeners, thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to Text Help Talks on your preferred podcast player or streaming service to catch the next episode. Thanks again. Bye. <laughs>